Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? All right. I hope that we're going to get a little uh, kickback from Marvel for advertising their stuff. So we're going to have a little fun over the next few weeks. We're looking at a few movies. I am a, certainly an action hero buff. I like watching these movies. And I do think that they have something to teach us. Now, this is not an endorsement of Marvel. This is not an endorsement of these movies. And yet, as we open our eyes, and, and just as Joy said, watch these mu- movies from a Christian lens, they actually have some things that they can teach us. And so for the next three weeks, that's what we're doing. I think that we're sharing a message today on something that you may never have heard preached in a church before, and that is on the myth of redemptive violence. So what in the world is that? What is the myth of redemptive violence? Walter Wink, who coined this term, talks about the Babylonian creation myth in where one God murders another God to create the world, and then that same God murders someone to create humans. And this is what he says when he talks about the redemptive, the myth of redemptive violence. He says, human beings are naturally incapable of peaceful coexistence. This is what the, this myth teaches us. Order must continually be imposed on us from high, men over women, masters over slaves, priests over laity, aristocrats over peasants, rulers over people. Unquestioning obedience is the highest virtue and order the highest religious value. As God's representative of the earth, the king's task is to subdue all the enemies who threaten tranquility that he has established on behalf of the whole God. The whole cosmos is a state, and the God rules through the king. In short, the myth of redemptive violence is the story of victory of order over chaos by the means of violence. Essentially, this is a lot of fancy words to say that humans have lived with this idea that we can create order and peace if we are violent enough. That there is a certain way that if we defeat our enemies and we kill enough people that we can create peace through those actions. And what I'm here to tell you today is this is not the Jesus way. The Jesus talks about a whole different message. Did you hear the words in the songs that we sang? That God's love is so reckless that he's willing to go to the cross for us. And that this love of God is so extravagant for each of us. But here's the truth that really shakes everything up. Is that God's love is just not, not just for you. Not just for the people sitting around you, not just for the people in this room, but God loves your worst enemy in the same way that God loves you. And so Jesus teaches a way that breaks the cycle of violence if we will just live by it. So the movie that we're talking about today is Black Panther. And in the movie, it's all about this question is can violence be redemptive? Can violence bring about good? The nation of Wakanda has this special metal vibranium that allows them to have superior technology to other people. And there's three responses to this. One response is to hide from the world. And you see churches do this, right? Hide from the world. Because if the world were to come into their place, it would just ruin everything. The second response is to use their resources for good. So to use their resources for refugee programs and to educate people. And the third response, which is Killmonger's response, is to use their weapons to overthrow the people that had been oppressing them. So we're going to watch two clips. We're going to watch them back to back. And it's looking at these last two responses together.
Other one? Oh, they're not working. All right, well, that's perfectly fine. Well, you all went and watched the movie, I hope. So in the movie, there's a character named Nakia, and she wants to help other people, and she wants to use Wakanda's resources to help other people. And then there's this character named Killmonger, and yeah, I know, his name, he lives up to his name. He likes to kill a lot of people. And he wants to use Wakanda's resources to overthrow the oppressors. So we all know that the West has taken from Africa and enslaved a whole race of people, right? And then continue to oppress them generation after generation. Now, thanks to some people like Martin Luther King, things are somewhat better, but we still have a lot of work to do. And in the movie, it kind of points out some of the inequality. And Killmonger's answer is to give the people who are being oppressed better weapons so they can kill the oppressors. This is the myth of redemptive violence. And in his own life, he both lives that myth and the consequences of it, even to his own death. Now, what's amazing is Jesus teaches us another way. Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. Jesus teaches a way of peace, but not just a way of peace that's weak, that just allows the world to continue the way it is, but to face down violence. You see, what Jesus had the temptation to use the means of the world and our weapons, and yet he faces down and takes all the violence and the sin of the world onto his own body. Think about that. Rather than using the weapons of the world to cause more violence, he takes the violence onto his own body. Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This is Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And I think part of this temptation was Jesus' temptation to pick up the sword. And I'll share that in a minute. Then Jesus led, or the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. I don't know if you've ever been hungry, truly hungry before, but you are in a state where you are weak and really open to suggestion. The tempter came to him and said, since you are God's sons, command these stones to be bread. And Jesus replied, it is written, people won't live by bread alone, but by every word spoken by the Lord. Now think about that. The temptation to create bread. God had sent him, it said the spirit led him into the wilderness, right? to fast. And so the, the temptation would be to use his powers to create bread for himself, to let him out of that situation. Also, imagine how powerful you can be if you can create bread. Do you think that would give you some influence and authority over people? If you had the ability to feed the world? So even that is a temptation for power. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said, since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit a foot on the stone. Jesus replied, again, it is written, don't test the Lord your God. So the devil takes him up, and he says, throw yourself off and show God's mighty power that you'll have all these legions of angels, and they'll protect you, and, and they'll prevent you from being hurt. He says, don't test the Lord. Notice how Jesus responds to every temptation with the scripture that he had memorized. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory, and he said, I'll give you all of these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, go away, Satan, because it is written, you will worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. 
Now, that's a really interesting thing because those were not really kingdoms for the devil to give. The devil didn't have the power and the authority to give Jesus those nations. I think the temptation here is for Jesus to pick up the sword and live a life of conquest. Now, stick with me here. Jesus could have been a greater conqueror than Alexander the Great. He could have been a greater military general than Napoleon. Jesus is God. He could be good at anything that he wanted. But to do so, to overthrow the Roman Empire, which is exactly what the Jewish people were hoping for in their Messiah, would have caused untold death. But just like the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden with disobeying God and say, live your way. You don't need to follow God's way. Here, Satan is tempting Jesus to say, you don't need to do this awful thing that God is asking you to do. Because it is horrific to die on a cross. This is the path that Jesus had set before him. God was telling him to go to the cross, to be nailed to the cross. To be shamed. This was the Roman Empire's way of shaming people. We are killing your loved one in such a brutal and awful fashion, and there is nothing that you can do about it. The cross is the world's ultimate example of violence and violence to to cause a point. Because the Roman Empire believed it was bringing peace on earth. The emperor thought he was the good news. And now we know that that is about Jesus. And so Jesus was tempted to use these same weapons, weapons of war. And he turns away from it. He says, no, I've come for a different purpose. I've come for a different way of living. And let's look at that in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. You have heard it said, whenever Jesus says this, he's about to drop a bomb. You have heard it said, and I for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, even this teaching, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was to limit violence. Because if, if, let's say, you hurt a family member of mine, and then I might go and kill a family member of yours, and then you will come and kill my whole family, and then my tribe will attack and kill your tribe. This is the cycle of violence that is repeated over and over again. And so, in the law of the Old Testament, if you were to take someone's eye, you were only allowed to take another person's eye. If you were allowed to take someone, if you took someone's tooth, you were only allowed to take someone's tooth. It was to limit the violence. But now Jesus is going to get radical. But I say to you not to oppose those who would hurt you. If people slap you on your right cheek, you must turn to the left cheek to them as well. When they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat too. When they force you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to those who ask and don't refuse those who wish to borrow from you. Josh, I need you for a demonstration. Okay, this will make a lot more sense if I will show you something. So Josh, is it okay if I, yes, I'm going to hit you right now. Is that okay? Is that okay with everybody if I hit Josh? So if I am a Roman and Josh is a Hebrew, I'm going to show my dominance on him. If I'm going to attack him, I'm not going to punch him with my, my fist like this, okay? If you punch someone with your fist, overhand, you're saying you are equals, you're fighting as equals. So as a dominant person in the Roman Empire, when they would strike someone, they would strike someone with their backhand. So let me show you. So if I would strike them like this, okay? Does that make sense? Everybody see? That's why it talks about the right cheek. Now, turn your cheek to me. Now, I no longer can hit him with my backhand. I have to hit him with like an equal to the face. So you may sit down. I didn't hurt you, did I? Okay. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? 
He's not saying throw a punch back. And he is not saying to humbly and meekly accept the violence upon you. But turn your cheek so they have to hit you as an equal. Don't run away from the violence. Stand in the middle of it and accept it on yourself. But don't respond in violence. Because, of course, if a Hebrew, this minor, tiny nation, tried to stand up against the Roman Empire, they would be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened to Israel. Is they revolted, and in 70 AD, Rome destroyed them. So Jesus is saying, don't even go down that path. That is not the right path. These teachings have inspired nonviolent resistance. And there's a difference, I think, between nonviolent and pacifism. Because nonviolent says we're going to stand in the gap of violence. We're going to accept the violence on our lives so the violence will eventually stop. But not respond with violence. What about the other teachings? If you were asked to go one mile, go a second mile. The Roman army could ask you to go one mile. That was their choice. The second mile is yours. That is an act of resistance to say, we are choosing to carry this pack a second mile. If they take your shirt, give them your coat as well. That's an act of resistance to say, you're going to take this from me, I'm going to give you my coat. Jesus inspires us not just to accept violence, but to respond in a way that eventually will lead to the end of violence. These are the techniques that people like Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela and Gandhi used to end oppression. Now, we still have a lot more work to do, but it is so much better because they chose not a path of violence, not to become the oppressors themselves, but to take that violence on themselves. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. The teaching gets more difficult. You have heard it said, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Again, you have heard it said, he's about to drop a bomb, you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Anybody can do that, right? In fact, Jesus goes on later to say that. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you so that you will be acting as children of the Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun to rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. He must have been talking about this morning. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, so you must be complete. So not only does Jesus say not to respond in violence, but to love your enemies. We have to break this cycle of violence by loving our enemies, by wanting good for our enemies, by treating them as we would have ourselves be treated. So how does this live out in our life? Interpersonally. People do us harm almost every single day, don't they? For one reason or another, some sort of violence, we say awful things about each other, we lie, we cheat, we abuse, we use violence, and that probably happens to us on a daily, if not weekly, basis. What is our response? How do we respond as, as authentic followers of Jesus with these really challenging and incredible teachings? We see the path of violence. If you've seen Black Panther, you see that Killmonger's whole life was built on the myth of redemptive violence. His father was killed by his uncle who was the king of Wakanda. And that started this anger and hate within him until he gets to the point where he is able to take the throne and he's gonna cause all of this war and violence in the world because all he sees is if, if I can get to enough violence, then I can bring about peace for my people. That violence causes a civil war in his own nation, this nation that he takes over, and leads to his own 
destruction. That's all that violence ever leads to, destruction. If we follow a path of violence, if we want retribution and retaliation when people hurt us in our lives, it will only lead to destruction, ours and other people's. I think it's the anniversary of the shooting in Charleston, South Carolina that Dylan Ruth did against the people in a Bible study. And one person, they, they did a, um, a powerful documentary called Emmanuel, and I highly recommend it. But this is um, Chris Singleton. He's an NBA player. His mom was murdered. And if you don't know the story, they, the families of the people who were murdered by Dylan Roof at his arraignment all stood up and forgave him. They said, I forgive you, and moreover, I want you to know the love of God. Could you do that? If someone had caused harm to your family, could you forgive them and say, I want you to know the love of God? This is what Chris says. I think first and foremost, when people think you forgive, they automatically think you submitted and you're weak. We ever thought that way, that to forgive is to be weak? I think that's the complete opposite of what forgiveness is. I think it takes more strength and more courage to forgive somebody than it does to hold a grudge and to be angry and upset all the time. I think that's the easy way out. With me personally, I believe once we're able to forgive, you are to build on things and you're able to free yourself from that constant feeling of anxiety or feeling like you need to get revenge or whatever it may be. In my life, I'm a believer and I know for a fact that I had help when I said the words, I forgive him. I know it just wasn't me. I know God was actually using me in my life during that time. At the time when people said it, I had no idea why I said it. People were saying, your mom was speaking through you, but now I realize that it was God using me at that time. What a challenging teaching to forgive people who harm us rather than seek retribution and retaliation. How is God calling you to forgive people in your life? But it it doesn't just affect us in interpersonal, it affects us as a society. You know, it seems like ever since 9-11, we think that every single problem can be solved through war. What we're realizing, it just creates more war. Sometimes war is inevitable. I'm not saying that we'll never go to war. But I do believe as Christians, we need to advocate as war as the very last option. Another aspect that I'm passionate about is I don't think as Christians we should seek the death penalty. You know, the United Methodist Church has a really great stance on this. It says that if we take someone's life for any crime— then we miss the opportunity to offer God's love and redemption in their life. Can you think about that? That is a person that God wants to love and save. And we know statistically that the death penalty does not prevent crimes and that it is more expensive than putting someone away for life. And yet, we still choose to do it. And I think because deep within us, we desire death for death. If a life is taken, we want another life to be taken. If we're going to be pro-life people, we're going to be against abortion, we also need to be against things like the death penalty and war and all sorts of violence in any form that they present themselves. That's a challenging teaching, and yet that is what God calls us to do. So as a church, where do we find ourselves when we talk about love and ending the cycle of violence? Well, we have to, just like Jesus did, put ourselves in places where violence is happening, places where suffering is happening, and take that suffering on ourselves. This is one of the things that Jesus means when he says, pick up your cross and follow me, because Jesus is in the place of suffering. Jesus is in the place of violence. Jesus is in the place where harm is happening. 
How is God calling you to step up and to take some of that violence and suffering on your body to prevent it to others? I want to leave you from a quote from a fantastic book and movie uh, from the Lord of the Rings. Tolkien sums this up really well. He says, this is uh, Frodo talking to Gandalf. Frodo, it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had a chance. Gandalf, pity? It's a pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play in it, for good or for evil before this is over. The pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. Jesus gives us a challenging teaching. He tells us not to respond to violence with violence, but with love. He says to love our enemies, love those who hate us, to pray for them, to wish good for them. And until we do as a people, all we will ever experience is violence, death, and destruction. So I challenge you as a people to be a people of love, to seek out where people are suffering and take that suffering on yourself. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.